A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So, here we are once more at the end of another fascinating and tumultuous week. Uh, and we have learned quite a lot of things, haven't we? Let's have a little bit of a recap as to what we now know that we did not know at this time last week. One, there is no such thing as a promise Boris won't break. OK, well, we sort of knew that one already. Number two, there is no such thing as a safe Tory seat. I think we probably knew that as well. Number three, Health Secretary Matt Hancock is effing useless. I think we sort of knew that. Number four, UEFA VIPs don't get COVID and so don't ever need to quarantine. Now, that one is new, definitely. Uh, number five, Scotland fans will take over London once more. I think we sort of expected that. And it's pouring with rain, by the way. Can you imagine the wet bagpipes and the soggy kilts out there are going to be there all day? And six, the Sage modellers are still getting it all wrong. Neil Ferguson, um, Captain Pants Down, is predicting that something like 100,000 people are going to die before the summer. Where's he getting all this? Uh, we'll be kicking things off this morning with the former UK party leader Richard Tice, who will have plenty to say about all of the above, plus a call from the leader of the Oxford vaccine programme to scrap COVID tests in schools. John Redsell will join us with his take on the Lib Dems as well, winning an historic by-election last night, and of course the rest of the week in politics. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we're going to be looking ahead to the big game tonight in the company of a host uh, of great guests, including Jim White from TalkSport, and we'll keep the pressure on the Royal Mail, who are still insisting that posties can't fly the England flag on their vehicles, right, because of health and safety. It's okay for them to drive around at 90 miles an hour down a street where there are children running and playing, but no, no, they can't have a flag that's about the size of, you know, a can of peas. 0344 499 1000. Also, we want to hear from you. Of course, Freedom Day was meant to happen on Monday. What are you doing this weekend? Are you going to throw your mask in the river? What's going to happen on Monday? And of course, it's Friday, so we bring the Perriers as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say uh, it's time for Richard Tice. It's Friday. It's Tice time. Uh, welcome, Richard. You're looking very well. Well, looking thank you very than much. I am, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we've all, we've all had our makeup as always on we a have. Friday. Um, you've but, you've but, somehow got a better deal than I have today. Well, obviously, you know, it's, maybe I just spend a little bit more time. Who knows, Mike? <laughs> there hasn't been any money-changing days, is there, by any chance? But, not uh, yet. Not but, yet. But, but listen, let's let's. Keep, what a dreadful day, right? Absolutely. You can't believe that we're in the same country as we were two 
two days ago. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I wonder whether it has any linkage to the Scots coming down with their bagpipes and their kilts. It could well uh, do. To the football. Yeah. And, and you know, is that going to play into the Scots' hands or is that going to play into the uh, Well, the do you know, they do hands? like a bit of rain up in Scotland, don't they? I remember the first time I moved up there uh, back in, uh, I think it was 2002, in June, uh, 26 days of rain. Was, wow. was what they had in Glasgow. Welcome, welcome to Scotland, yeah, Mike welcome Graham. Welcome to Scotland. <laughs> you know, I mean, my parents are both Scottish. I'll be supporting Scotland, as I think I may have told you before. Uh, which um, I do have a major problem with. That's I mean, fine. You know, you know. That's fine. I mean, we are all part of the great United Kingdom we until are Boris we managed are to screw that up as well. Um, but what an amazing week. Tell me, do you think Boris Johnson's uh, loss to uh, Lib Dems last night in this in this by-election is historic? I'm not. I mean, it's 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 middle of it's midterm election by-election. Lib Dems win those it's, quite a lot. It it um it was completely unexpected. Uh, as as we were canvassing, uh, you know, we could see things were changing in the last week. Mm. And on on Wednesday, uh, I, I said to people, I said something extraordinary could just happen here, right. and it really has. And the reality is that uh, whilst the Tories have been focusing on the North and, and, and Labour have ignored their base in the North, and that's why the Tories won Hartlepool, but in the South, again, uh, in reverse, the Tories have been basically ignoring their base. Mm. And in Chesham and Amersham, I mean, the whole constituency is literally being ploughed up, dug up, carved up yes. by this absurdly bloated, wasteful project HS2. Mm. And... Uh, you know, this was an opportunity for all of the constituents to say, enough, yes. we've been ignored. Um, so it was a massive protest. So do you think even it's, it's not so an, much... There's an inconsistency because actually Lib Dem national policy is to support HS2. Yes. Um, but it's basically a massive protest mm. vote and also against the planning reforms that most people haven't yet focused on. Mm. But I know privately Tory MPs in the south of England are utterly petrified about the impact of these planning for reforms because, if they I mean, go ahead, which they probably now won't. Right, because the swing is huge, isn't it? I mean, it's a massive uh, move. I, I presume then, from what you've said, many of the people who voted Lib Dem were actually disaffected Tories then. So actually, the majority of people who voted Lib Dem were Labour voters. So the Labour vote completely collapsed. We almost beat Labour. Really? Uh, and we, you know, we would have loved to have done that. And of course, we'd have liked more votes. But it's difficult because what you're seeing now across the country, you saw it in Hartlepool, you've seen it now in Chesham, is that voters realise if they coalesce around one candidate, actually they can change the MP in that seat mm. and make a difference. Right. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, and, and if people feel that this is the only way uh, to beat Boris Johnson and the Tories, you know, maybe then, as I say, there mm. will be a lot more of that. And it was, it was pretty extraordinary. I mean, it's probably one of the most seismic uh, swings yeah. uh, ever. Um, John Rental later may have the exact uh, numbers on that, the, yeah. the history of it. But what but I it's find pretty interesting, extraordinary. And, it, and if it is largely around HS2, and it could be other things as well, it could be disaffection with um, you know the way that the, the government's handling all sorts of things. But if that is the case, and then you look at Hartlepool, and that was a kind of one-issue, single-issue election as well, are we then going to see that, a kind of single-issue type um, campaigning going on, when you see one election falling because of one particular thing? I think, I think uh, un completely understandably... Uh, voters want to know that they're being listened to mm. in the local area and they focus on things that are important in a local constituency. And so in Hartlepool, people wanted some of Boris's red wall money. And in, in Cheshire and Amersham, uh, people do not want the whole constituency being carved up uh, for this, this uh, wasteful um, HS2 project. I think probably there was also, you'll have had a lot of Tory voters stay at home 
who basically are sort of against the uh, the, the fact that Boris has sort of delayed easing the uh, the restrictions. So there will have been a bit of that. And, you know, cumulatively, mm. um, it all shows that actually voters really can make a difference. The turnout was obviously down at just over 52%. It's not terrible for a by-election. It's not it? terrible for a by-election. But I do think that a lot... Uh, the extraordinary thing is, you know, the, the, the Tory MPs have literally this morning no idea why it happened. Um, they've no idea... They had no idea that it was going to happen... And that says something about the extent to which they've just been taking their base for granted. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a couple of ministers uh, on talk radio this morning, obviously quite shell-shocked, using words like, you know, massacre and disaster. And I mean, you know as well as I do, Richard, they're all trained not to use those kind of words normally, yeah. no matter how bad it is, but they're all saying it. Well, and, and, and that is because that's exactly what it is. It is absolutely seismic. And look, I mean, I congratulate, I tweeted out this morning, congratulations to the Lib Dems. This is what they're really good at. Mm. They run a, a they, they had 50 people out almost every day. It was quite extraordinary. Mm. And so, you know, you, you've got to give credit where credit's due. And obviously, we'd have liked more voters ourselves. Uh, you know, we're building a new political brand. It takes time. Yes. And, you know, I think that, uh, but, but fundamentally, voters are looking around. There's no question about that. They're looking around saying, what else is out there? We're living in a one-party state. Mm. We're all being ignored. Yeah. Uh, we're in a sort of authoritarian dictatorship. And frankly, uh, we've had enough. And, and so I think, uh, yeah, there's a, uh, there'll, be, there'll be quite a shock in mm. the air of... Uh, I mean, there still seems anecdotally for me to be a lot of people who are still quite loyal to the Tories, despite the fact that they don't appear to be doing very much that a Conservative Party would otherwise be doing. But they're also still quite fond of Boris Johnson. I did a show a couple of weeks ago saying, what does he have to do to become unpopular? You know, he seems to be able to just ride roughshod through everything. I mean, even uh, this uh, latest Cummings outburst where, you know, he produced perhaps the least surprising news of the week <laughs> uh, in which apparently the Prime Minister thinks Matt Hancock's effing useless. Well, we all thought that anyway, but, but that didn't even touch him really. No, I think the thing about Boris is that he is an individual with voters is popular. Mm. And I think Boris has got so many frailties that actually many people, all of us, frankly, can see a little bit of our own yeah. frailties in Boris. Mm. And people quite like that. And I think that the other thing is, it's easier for a Conservative voter to abstain than to go elsewhere. Mm. Whereas I think that uh, Labour voters in the North who voted for, uh, for, the, for, for Brexit and the Brexit Party in the European elections, mm. they started to lend their vote. So it's been easier for them um, so I think we've got another by-election, well, which we're not standing in in Batley and Spend, uh, on July the 1st. Uh, and it's almost guaranteed that Labour will lose that mm. again uh, in the north. Um, but yes, yeah, I mean, this this issue this week with, with you know, more Cummings revelations. The thing about what Dominic Cummings is doing is some of the stuff that he's he's telling us is actually important information. Yeah. Some of which we knew, some of which we didn't. The The problem is because of the way he was discredited over Barnet Castle, because of the, frankly, just pretty unpleasant way in which he's gone about yes. revealing all this information, mm. um, it, he's, being, he's being dismissed and discredited. And understandably, Tory MPs are basically sort of coalescing around, in a protective veil around yeah. um, Hancock. He's kind of giving them the opportunity to, 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 to rubbish his claims, because, to be honest, if I was in a court of law, I don't think producing a WhatsApp message... Uh, screenshot is actually yeah. evidence of anything because you could have just written that exactly and uh, you know he promised other evidence to the select mm. committee which he hasn't delivered mm. so his credibility is is frankly disappearing down a plug hole yeah uh, Hancock is probably looking safer than ever even though frankly you know we all know that uh, he is useless 
I, and, and frankly, we all know that he is a liar. I mm. proved that he was a liar uh, regarding the Nightingale Hospitals when he stood in the yeah. House of Commons on the 30th of December and said they hadn't been decommissioned. Right. They're still on standby. And I'd stood in the empty And hall. you were there, yeah. So you know, the man is a, he, he is a proven liar in the House of Commons. Yes. And if he's done it once, he'll do it again and again. Well, I must admit, I asked the question um, that very afternoon after that uh, uh, sort of WhatsApp message was revealed. I said, I th actually thought being effing useless was a qualification <laughs> for getting into the cabinet. I didn't realise that actually that was a bad thing. That, that's because, clearly why you I mean, and I are not there. Yeah, well, exactly right. Because, I mean, you can certainly name more than one of them uh, who you might describe as not exactly very good at the job. I mean, they have, you, you can absolutely. And they've got major issues, uh, I think, coming down the pipe with the planning reforms under Robert Jenrick, with the, the cladding scandal that we've been very focused on, yeah. again, under one Robert Jenrick. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is a disaster that is really impacting on hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Mm. And it's going to clog up the, uh, the, the property well, market. there's a story as well going around. I'm going to get into this in a moment because we're going to have to take a little short break. But there's a story doing the rounds at the moment where there are some estimates now that by Christmas, do you know what the waiting list is going to be for NHS treatment for some uh, people in this country? Uh, there's going to be 10 million people rather than five because it's not, they're not doing anything about it. They're not actually seemingly learning from yep. whatever it was that went I'm, wrong. They're not tre still not treating people. I'm not surprised at all. In fact, all they're doing is they're blaming people for having the temerity, having paid our taxes, yeah. to go to hospital when you're ill imagine or sick. Wanting, imagine imagine wanting, that. Imagine wanting medical treatment you know, in a hospital. I mean, we thought it was just a place you went to get some really bad macaroni cheese. No, it's a place you've got to protect. Yes, exactly right. We must protect the NHS. Uh, also, of course, we've got much more to talk about. We're going to talk about UEFA VIPs and how they don't get COVID. Uh, this is me, Mike Graham. He's Richard Tice. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Richard Tice is here with me. We've been talking about the Lib Dems, the Tories, the Labour Party. What about the big game tonight, Richard? England, Scotland. I might ask you for a prediction later. Uh, he doesn't like the fact that I'm supporting Scotland, you know. I mean, I don't know why. Why are we in a very broad church here? A very broad church, of course. But of course, uh, the big story in front of the Times today, UEFA threat over Euro's final. UEFA threatening to take the final, which is supposed to be happening in Wembley, to uh, Hungary if, in fact, we don't let all of their uh, bods in, their VIPs in without having to quarantine. I mean, this is typical for UEFA, isn't Oh, it? completely typical. Whether it's UEFA or FIFA, you would expect this sort of arrogant elitism mm. uh, from these from these groups. They essentially, when they arrive, they actually think they're then sort of taking over the running of the country. Right. Uh, mind you, that may not be a bad thing, given who's running the country <laughs> at the moment. But, uh, no, seriously, it, uh, it, it, it's outrageous to think that they can come in and that there's some form of COVID shield mm. that descends from space Well, presumably uh, they've just moved, moved the COVID shield from Cornwall, where it was last weekend. Of course, yes. Because there isn't one there either. No, no, it's it's moved from Cornwall. Yeah. It now um, will sort of descend pod-like around each individual and everyone will be protected. And um, and sadly, us mere mortals and normal people, I mean, we, 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 we can't benefit from that It is extraordinary, shield. isn't it, that we have a, a country supposedly divided by people like you and I who think that we could actually lift all the regulations if we yep. wanted to on Monday. Day, which is when it was supposed to happen, and other people who go, oh, well, you know, we've got to be cautious, we've got to... I mean, did you see the Hungary game the other day, where there's 63,000 people in the stadium? Some people don't like the fact that people had to show a vaccination passport to get in, but they still had a full stadium. Yep. You know, why can't we have that? Well, the, and the extraordinary thing is, we've had pilots here, mm. where, you know, you've had lots of people in a nightclub, you've had lots of people in the stadium, there was up in Edgbaston the other day, they've all gone absolutely fantastic, they've proved the data and we were told it's following the data, yeah. and yet now, actually, we're not following the data. No. We're following a bunch of bonkers scientists well, uh, if we are got a completely 
different agenda. Well, what, we, what we're also seeing is that the number of daily coronavirus cases, which is going through the roof, which is what seems to be worrying them all, is having no real bearing on admissions to hospital, because what we do know is even from this Delta variant, formerly known as the Indian variant, yep. um, which apparently we're not allowed to say, even though the Kent variant is still called the Kent variant. I'm I quite sure how that works. But anyway, um, it's less than 1% of people who, who are infected with this variant who go end up going to hospital. And we've still got numbers of deaths really, really low, less than 50 a week. And so, you know, I don't know what data they're actually following. Uh, I don't know at all. I'm just thinking maybe the next variant will be the woke variant. The woke variant. Yeah, <laughs> that could be it. Uh, the, no, I mean, it, the data, there has been a complete shift mm. and there has been a break in the linkage between infections and hospitalizations mm. and thankfully deaths. Yeah. Um, but the government, uh, they don't want to, uh, you know, they, they don't want to take the benefit of that. And we've got this bizarre situation now where essentially you've got... Um, you've got our own planes, EasyJet planes, Ryanair planes, mm. now being flown from England, yeah. from the UK, over to Europe to be used in Europe because we can't take advantage. Our mm. government won't let us take advantage of our successful vaccination programme. And I now genuinely fear that uh, we are looking at further lockdowns and restrictions being imposed yeah. in the autumn when, guess what, some uh, you know some two-and-a-half-year-old, like Ian Collins's. Uh, uh, youngster the other day, Ian was saying, um, had a sniffle and had to have a PCR test and is sort of grounded for 14 right. days. I mean, it's just utterly it nuts. It's mad, isn't it? Utterly and nuts. And again, uh, despite what they said they would do, um, the government are edging back again on asking people to come back to work in offices. So once again, uh, we are left with a sort of a ghost towns all over the country because people aren't being told, get back into work. And, you know, I talked about this literally a year ago yeah. in central London, the devastation for, uh, for city centres, uh, for town centres, People just haven't got their heads around yet at all. But it's going to be absolutely seismic mm. unless uh, you say, actually, we need to get back to work. I am hearing now from employers more and more people realise, actually, there is a real benefit, you know, solving problems, brainstorming, yeah. creating, designing things around a table collectively. And they realise the benefit of that slightly differently, of course, uh, before we finish to the uh, the creativity and ingenuity of uh, one uh, Christian Ronaldo, which oh, yes. brings me on to. Uh, my deal of the deal week. Of the week yes. Deal this of the is, week, Mike. Now this is thing, right. so the two candidates for deal of the week mm. this week yes. was Christian Ronaldo, who yeah. by just moving two Coke bottles, yes, um, that was a two point eight billion pound move of those. So that Amazing. was a, that was an extraordinary yeah. deal. But the other candidate for winner of the deal of the week is Liz Truss. Okay, uh, with her um, the signing of the uh, the trade deal between the UK and Australia, which yeah. she sort of negotiated single handedly, and. Um, she, she's, she's achieved two things. Firstly, uh, I think she has actually, uh, to a to a fair degree, provided a sensible sort of phasing in of of uh, uh, the tariff-free uh, imports of meat on beef and lamb. But most importantly of all, uh, she has, of course, reduced the price of uh, alcohol coming in yeah. from Australia to the UK. Julia, I know, is utterly thrilled about that. <laughs> and so, but I think on balance, very close though it is, the yes. deal of the week has to be Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, I think that was absolutely remarkable. And and the way that he did it as well was superb. Just it? superb. Very and I gather, not only that, I gather he gets he earns almost a million pounds every time he posts an Instagram message. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is quite yeah. extraordinary. I don't know how he does that, but I'd, I'd like to be quite keen to find we out. We need some tips, He's don't an we? Extraordinary man. And then 
then he goes out and quite happily scores two goals just to prove he's still the greatest footballer in the world. And, they, and he's 36. I mean, they, they reckon he'll be playing well into his 40s. He's so fit and, and he looks after himself so well. It's remarkable. Just incredible, unlike some of us. Well, listen, uh, I've spent a million pounds on myself, but uh, not to keep fit, I have to say. So, so I've been left behind the places that charge me VAT, I'm afraid. Richard Tice, great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, and as if by magic, we're now going to talk about testing in schools because for a long time, I've been telling you that the testing in schools is a complete and utter waste of time. Now, Professor Sir Andrew Pollard, uh, no less, who's one of the leaders uh, of the Oxford vaccine programme, he's basically saying they should stop doing COVID tests in schools now. They're a waste of time. They're disruptive uh, and there's no point to them. Let's talk to Dr Jenny Bristow, sociologist and author of The Corona Generation, Coming of Age in a Crisis. Dr Jenny, good morning. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, the professor is right, isn't he? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know why these tests are still going on in schools. The inaccuracy of them, both in terms of false positives and false negatives, has been known about for months. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, it just seems to me completely strange that we have this narrative that this is supposed to be about keeping schools open when we all know that what it's actually doing is causing massive disruption for a whole load of children, yeah. their families and teachers and schools. Yes. I mean, I couldn't believe it when the kids were sent home for half term and they were told, uh, don't worry, uh, just take a couple more tests before we come back. Even though they weren't anywhere near the school, they wanted them to take the test in the week that they were off and also to take another test before they came back. Yes. I mean, I think both the efficacy of this programme and also the ethics of it have been in doubt again for mm. months. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's been widespread concern amongst a number of you know, people and organisations that this is sort of being used as an experiment. I don't know, to see if the tests work or to see what can be done with them, um, but it's not being run under experimental conditions. No. So we had the, the situation back in March, if you remember, when schools had just opened up after two months of closure and children were told that they couldn't, they had to take three lateral flow tests, um, but they couldn't back those results up with a PCR test. Right. So, you know, kids who just come back after two months are then thrown out again in in bubbles, mm. you know, and and that to me was a real kind of indicator that I don't know what's going on here, because if if it was an experiment to see if the tests worked and it was about keeping schools open, why were people stopped from actually seeking reliable confirmation? Yeah, of them? I know it makes no sense. I often wonder sometimes, Jenny, if it's not just the most obvious answer, which is that they've got all these tests. And so they figure we might as well give them to somebody to use them up because otherwise we're going to have to dump them in landfill or something. Yeah, well, I think that has crossed my mind and lots of other people's <laughs> minds. But I mean, the thing is, and they are giving them out, you know, <laughs> um, like sweets yeah. um, to everybody who wants them. But the thing that bothers me is about their use in schools is that, I mean, children aren't free agents, right, in this way. Um, I mean, there'll be a lot of kids who aren't taking the test. There'll be parents who have deconsented. You have to, you know, give your consent as a parent. Yes for your child to take part and, and I think you know so does the child to an extent but there seems to be this idea that with schools well they're all in one place they're being told what to do and to make schools act as the authority mm. in this relationship to get you know teachers and, and schools and administrators to enforce something that is absolutely not about education and they must know it's detrimental to the children of course it is and i've also been told that some schools which are particularly hard on doing it um, will make any child who's not taking them feel uncomfortable 
You know, in the same way that any child who's asked to opt out of wearing a mask uh, in school, they make them feel uncomfortable. And an awful lot of the kids have been going along with it simply because they don't want to be seen as the odd one out. And I think that's kind of the wrong message to give our kids, isn't it? I think it is the wrong message to give to give the kids, as is uh, one of the things that uh, struck me in the Telegraph article is um, how relatively few, um, I think it's about only half of tests seem to be um, checked against PCR tests. Right. So even though that's the sort of now, you know, the official advice, there's clearly not a advice that's being given to children and families that um, if you have a positive test, it might not be right. Mm. You know, there's a sort of a priori assumption that all positive tests are correct. Um, and all negative tests are correct, and neither of those presumptions no. is true. We know that, and we've known it for months. Yes, which effectively renders the test pointless, as as the professor says. And also, mm. I was talking to a doctor some weeks ago who said, you know, the least reliable of these tests is the ones which you are asked to do yourself, because notwithstanding how unreliable the test is anyway, if you're actually doing it yourself because you're not a clinician, you might be getting it all wrong anyway. Well, you might, but then... <laughs> The trouble is then there's, there's two ways to go on that. I mean, you could say, well, they should all be done in schools in supervised conditions, which I think would be worse because of the amount of time well, and would. resources yeah. it, sap, it saps up. So what we have is that kind of, you know, on one level seems more sensible and voluntaristic. I mean, it is less easy to pressure kids if they're taking tests at home. I mean, presumably the kids or their parents want them to, to do it um, for whatever reason. But then it becomes, <laughs> it goes back to that question, why are we doing this anyway? Because we know it doesn't work. It's a performance. Mm. It's a performance of something. To what end? I'm well, not sure. But the end is clearly not to keep schools open. Well, I th- if you I, want I, to keep schools open, you just keep them open. Well, exactly. You don't need to test kids. No, exactly. I mean, I've got no problem with people being tested if they've got symptoms. You know, sensible. But why test people who don't have symptoms? It's a waste of time to me altogether. And we've got a testing centre very near our office here, which I walk past quite regularly. There's never anyone in it. You know, it's meant to be there to test people who don't have symptoms. But people are going, well, why would I go in there if I don't have symptoms? What's, you know, what would be the point of that? Uh, yes, and I, I actually think this this speaks to another problem with, um, you know, the, the kind of the focus on mass testing, yeah, you know, the obsession with trying to pick up asymptomatic cases and so on and so forth, that I actually think it undermines um, <laughs> sensible... Uh, you know, trust in testing when mm. you think you might have COVID, right? I mean, if you're symptomatic, you think you might have COVID, it makes sense to get a test. Yeah. Now, if what you have with the lateral flow test is that, you know, you're not feeling very well, you take a lateral flow test, comes back negative, you think, oh, that's all right then. I mean, we know that it's likely to be wrong, okay? Yeah. Um, and people are, because of the level of performance that's now involved in all of this, I think it's really damaging the ability of kind of sensible testing and kind of isolation measures when they're needed with people who are symptomatic and therefore, you know, probably infectious. Yes. But I mean, I have great trouble um, sort of joining the dots on some of this stuff, Jenny, because as you say, common sense seems to have gone out the window. You know, I've got a theory, um, which is simply a a theory of mine. I'm not going to impose it upon anybody else, but here's what I think. I wonder, because I've never seen any great evidence that people who have no symptoms uh, but who have COVID are spreading it to people without knowing, which is one of the great lines that comes out of these scaremongering adverts they do. How about um, they don't have COVID, um, they don't have symptoms, and they're not spreading it? I've never seen any evidence that shows me that people who don't apparently have it are spreading it. Have you? 
I don't know, to be honest. I mean, well, it's well, not I, my, but, but you, know, but it's you haven't not my seen, area of expertise. No, but they haven't. No, but they haven't presented any evidence to prove how they know that. Have well, they? That, but like I say, I think this is part of the problem that these things are sort of being run as experiments, but without being able to play the role of experiments right. because the kind of controls you would build into an experiment don't really um, uh, don't really exist. And I think the, I mean. I mean, it seems to me fairly clear that uh, whatever the thing about asymptomatic transmission, you know, you are more likely to be infectious if you are symptomatic. It also seems to be fairly clear that, you know, young people in schools aren't big drivers of transmission. No. You know, so these things don't kind of stack up and it would make much sense, you know, much more sense to me to go back to that principle that if you think you might have COVID, get a test to see if you have yeah. and then do something about right. it. I mean, similarly, rather than just surveil everybody in this in this way. Yes. And similarly, we heard this week that these uh, Perspex screens, which many offices have got, we've got them here, many schools have got, may actually be counterproductive uh, in the end, uh, which makes sense because they actually impede the flow of air. So mm. you're kind of going, OK, I mean, so all, I mean, we've been talking about all this stuff for a long time at Talk Radio. Um, it's now beginning to look as though some of the stuff that we questioned should have been questioned, and it should have been questioned a bit earlier. Well, yes, and, you know, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, the understanding of, of COVID and transmission and everything has changed over time, and I think we can, we can allow for that. The problem is, and I think this is a particular problem in public institutions like schools and universities, mm. uh, more so than, say, with businesses that, are, you know, maybe have more of a direct interest or more control over... Uh, what they do is that guidance comes in to account for new issues, for example, airborne transmission, and other guidance doesn't go out. Mm. So there still is this kind of this performance, you know, wiping things down with disinfectant, all these wipes, yeah. are going, you know, and, and these, yeah, these perspex screens where, you know, you think, well, yeah, I mean, so what, if, if that is the case, then will there ever be guidance that says, actually, you know, you don't need these things and you should probably take them down? Yeah. I'm not sure if there will. I think it's just one more thing building on one more yeah. thing. I think it will just happen. You know, I'm very much the belief of this and, I, and I'm, I'm warming more and more to my theme. Um, I'm hearing that supermarkets are starting to take some of their signage down. I'm told that gyms are starting to open up more of their showers rather than alternative ones. You can now go in every one. You know, there's a definite sense, I think, in the country that, that people have had enough and they're going to maybe lead uh, the recovery if the government isn't willing to do it. Well, I, I hope that's the case, but I think we do have to recognise that that can't be the case for schools and children. They don't have that kind of power. Right. I mean, schools do obviously have some control over how sensible or not they are working around the guidance. Mm. But, you know, that I think this is the problem. And that's why I'm so disturbed about the, you know, the number and the, the, the types of restrictions that are posed yeah. on, are imposed on schools because yes. they, they can't just say, well, we'll ignore it then. No. They're not allowed no, to. No, listen, I've, I've said for a very long time, the problem that I think a lot of people have had with the government is that they've never set targets. They've never told us, for example, when they introduce testing in schools, this is why we're doing it and this is when we'll know we've achieved something and this is when we know we can stop doing it. 
They've never told us what the parameters are, so we don't know. We don't even know whether what they have done so far has been of any use. We don't know whether they've found many cases, uh, whether anybody's gone to hospital, whether anybody's become seriously ill. We know, I certainly know anecdotally from friends of mine, that in most schools they've had a handful of, of, tests, of tests that have come back positive, but nobody's really been ill. Yes, and a handful of tests impacts on a lot of children yeah, and families exactly. and so on and, and so forth. And yeah, I mean, I think this is, but I, th I think this is the problem. I mean, it comes back to the question of what end are we trying to get to here? I mean, if the end that we were trying to get to is that people who are vulnerable uh, to serious um, disease, illness and disease from COVID were protected, we seem to have reached that point actually quite a long time ago um, with the vaccination of vulnerable members mm. of the community and with um you know the, the the level of kind of immunity that exists so why is this still carrying on and i think nobody kind of knows um and if there are people who do know they're not they're not telling us so it's we, we all seem to be working in the dark and, yeah. it, and it's real shame that the people who are being so impacted on this are children who what can they do about it exactly it's not good enough, as far as I'm concerned. Dr. Jenny Bristow, thank you very much indeed. Sociologist, author of Corona, The Corona Generation, Coming of Age in a Crisis. There is no point in having tests for children in schools anymore. Just stop. It's as simple as that. According to the professor uh, who's been running the Oxford vaccination programme, he agrees with me. He says, just don't do it. It's a waste of time. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I can only give this man one introduction, and he is, of course, the legendary uh, Jim White, talk sport presenter, mid-morning man, probably very nervous today, knowing, uh, I'm afraid, that even though I support Scotland, they're probably going to get a very good tonking from England. Jim, a very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon to you, mate. You're sounding in good voice, my friend. <laughs> well, I am. You know, I'm always I'm always up for a, a battle at Wembley between Scotland and England. The great thing about Scotland, uh, having both parents come from where you are now in Glasgow, you know, I was always told by my father, they only ever beat people you don't expect them to beat and they always lose to the teams you expect them to win over. Well, you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, this is where Scotland are the most dangerous, to be quite honest, because everybody but everybody is writing us off. And you and I both know that's when we come alive. We will respond tonight. Um, about 22,000, I believe, I think you said, are down in London. Yeah. Uh, it was remarkable yesterday, Mike. We were right in the city centre. I'm in a hotel right beside Central Station. You probably know where I am. Yeah. And there's a huge bar just opposite here uh, where they all left from yesterday afternoon, a, a sizable percentage of them. And um, as I look out this window at the moment, where are we now? Just gone 10 past 12. There are large numbers gathering. They've already started earlier. I walked over to speak to them a short time ago and they said, well, we've got to get in the mood, haven't we? We have to get in the mood. So um, they're getting in the mood, but we're in the mood. Scotland are OK, Mike, going into this. I'm sure of it. Well, the thing is, it's a do or die game, isn't it, Jim? Because at the end of the day, having lost the first game to the Czech Republic, this is a must win for Scotland. Otherwise, it's all over, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I think they've got to take something from it uh, tonight. Earlier on in TalkSport, I'll be uh, hosting Croatia against uh, the Czech Republic. And probably there, a good result for Scotland would be a Czech Republic win. Um, and then we can we can try and do a job in Croatia ourselves next week. But before all that, we've got to try and get something from Wembley. Uh, and I believe the weather will suit the Scottish players because it's weather we're used to. Uh, it's pouring with rain. Funnily enough, uh, ha Hamden will be bathed in sunshine this afternoon uh, for, the, for the other two nations in the group. But um, no, Scotland will go into this, I think, and give their all. We were just delighted to be part of it, Mike, but we're, we're past all that stage now. Now we are part of it. We want to make our mark in it. So unlike the other day against the Czech Republic, if they get a chance tonight or two against England, Scotland must take them. That's the difference. We have to take our chances tonight. And how do you think David Marshall's going to be feeling? Because he's obviously going to be keen oh. to stay a bit closer to the goal line than he did last time. Yes, indeed. Um, that was a moment I don't think I'll ever forget, nor will the, the talk sport commentator Alex Crook. I think David Marshall was caught short on that one. I think he had to pay to get back into Hamden uh, after that moment. But uh, yeah, it was a phenomenal goal by Patrick Schick, and he'll play for the Czech Republic this afternoon against Croatia. It really was. It'll probably end up might being goal of the tournament. How ironic, isn't it, that it happened in a Scotland game against the Scots? Yeah. But hey, that's just typical of us, isn't it? We do our best to, to give the tournament the highlights that it gets. But um, no, David Marshall will be ready. Do I expect him to play from the start again tonight? I don't see why not. He's a great goalkeeper. Um, and I think Scotland may ring the changes. Key for, for us tonight, Mike, is that Kieran Tierney, I think, will start the match. And we need him. He's been such a powerful player for Arsenal towards the end of last season. And what about England? Because, you know, for most of the game against Croatia, and I don't speak as a Scottish fan here, I thought they looked a bit kind of toothless. You know, Raheem Sterling, yeah. just before he scored the goal, was a guy who kept getting the ball and giving it away. Because he can do that, can't he? I mean, you know, what is Scotland going to have to do, do you think, to stop them from, uh, from being able to just run all over them? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a good point you make. I, I saw quite a bit of the game against uh, Croatia the other day, Mike. And at one stage, I thought Croatia will definitely take something from this. There was only one goal in the game and it went to England. So fair play to England for winning it. But having said all that, we need our players tonight, Mike, to all be sort of eight, nine, ten out of ten. Mm. The Scots are going to have to play the game of their lives to get something out of this tonight. 
But, I mean, they will need no motivation. And the guy who is ice cool all the time, you probably see him, uh, is Steve Clark on the sidelines. He looks totally as if nothing could ruffle him. Every game is the same. It gives it massive preparation. The Scots will be well prepared. And I tell you what, don't expect England to run away with this because they won't. They quite simply won't. And if I was to ask any of these people outside this hotel, and bear in my mind, every time I go out this hotel, I take my life in my hands, Mike. <laughs> but if I was to ask any of them, what do they think? They will all say to a man, to a woman, Scotland will get something out of this tonight. Yeah, well, they would say that. But what about the old, uh, there's a fan zone there, I understand, in George Square, because I was talking to my good mate, uh, Donald McLeod, the other day, who said that uh, one of the problems is they're told they're not allowed to stand up. I, and I said, well, you, they may not have to stand up if they don't score any goals. We'll see. Um, but he also said, apparently they're not allowed, they've banned the proclaimers. They're not allowed to sing 500 miles. It's madness. It is madness, and and they'll they'll soon uh, drive a coach and horses through that ruling. I would have thought that they were in good voice yesterday afternoon before they set off to Wembley over there in massive numbers, and they'll be in good voice here in in Glasgow today. The weather is perfect, Mike, as I said, and as I'm speaking to you, I can see about fifteen to twenty going in and just getting settled over there. And George Square is literally like. Um, oh, what, 400 yards from here? Yeah. So obviously they're going to they're going to shoot around there in the numbers after this. They're, they'll be in good voice. They'll be in good spirits. And obviously, if we get something out of this, they'll be partying long into the night. And who's to say we don't get something against Croatia next week? It's the way Scotland do it, Mike. Yeah. So-and-so needs to beat so-and-so. We need to take something from that. And then if your aunt's your uncle and we can borrow from that <laughs> to give to him, we might go through. It's been quite a good tournament so far. I've been quite enjoying yeah. it. My, my picks have been so far uh, for want of, I mean, probably a bit obvious uh, for you, but Portugal, um, France, of course, uh, and uh, um, and the Netherlands are looking pretty good. Uh, but I also quite like the look of, of, uh, um, of Belgium as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a few nations who look good. Um, I, I saw the Belgium game yesterday afternoon. Even when Denmark were one up, I thought, you know, Belgium will do something. And when Kevin De Bruyne came on, he turned the game in their favour. Belgium will be there or thereabouts. The French, as you rightly say, I don't know, even though they've got Ronaldo, I don't see Portugal. Well, maybe, I'm not entirely sure, but England, obviously, so many people fancy England to go all the way. But we we think differently about that, don't we, tonight? Some gentlemen there to my right agreeing with me, Mike, very much so. We, we think that we'd like to put a spoke in England's wheel this evening. And I think we might just do that. Yes. And the big story here as well, Jim, just to drag you into the old politics for a minute, is UEFA saying, you know, if we can't get all our officials into Wembley uh, without quarantine, we're going to move the final to uh, to Budapest. Presumably, the, uh, you know, we're not, but that's not going to happen, is it? No, no, I can't see that. It, it will be Wembley, Mike. I'm absolutely sure of that. I, am, I mean, UEFA say things and then later on they change their tune. Mm. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen. It's going to be Wembley. This tournament actually, Mike, to be fair, in, in terms of putting a spring in all of our steps, has been remarkable. You mentioned some of the games you've seen and some of the nations who've played well. Everybody's walking about really into this. All around Glasgow, certainly. Um, Euro 2020 flags flying banners draped, Scotland flags, everybody's bought into this. It's come at just the right time at the end of what's been a very testing, unprecedented time for us yeah. everywhere, actually, throughout the throughout the planet. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely right. So finally, Jim, uh, you, have, you have to give us a prediction. I'm going to pin you down on a prediction. What do you reckon? I reckon, um, Mike, heart and head is such a good question. 
One one, my friend. There you go. And if it's not one one, it will be one zero Scotland. Okay, I think that's a fair, a fair, a fair point to make, Jim. Thanks very much indeed for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Enjoy the day. I'm sure you'll enjoy the night. Uh, Jim White reporting into us from Glasgow, uh, his uh, his native home, uh, and of course that's where he's going to be watching the game from. Talksport will be bringing it live to you as well throughout the course uh, of the day. They've got all the games as you want them to be uh, tonight from Wembley. Uh, we were going to be bringing it to you, but we're not tonight because the weather's just too horrible. It's just too ghastly but maybe wouldn't it be amazing if Scotland were uh, to be victorious I'll be supporting them uh, and you can make fun of me on Monday uh, if it doesn't go well Mid-morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio It's 12.48, it's Friday and it's time for this Ladies and gentlemen welcome to the Perrier Awards There's a little bit of under-compliance, I'd have to say. Everybody's probably shocked by the brand-new uh, fantastic <laughs> graphics, which are now illustrated the Perry Awards. Yes, what a great thing that yes, is. Yes, absolutely. Brilliant. So. No expense spared now at Talk Radio TV. Absolutely brilliant. So, uh, yes, it's congratulations to Rory on that one. Well done. Absolutely smashing yeah, it love out it. the ballpark. Absolutely great. Well, welcome. Oh, yes, that was a big surprise that Thank we you very much. It. I didn't know about that. <laughs> well, red, there you go. Red, lovely red velvet curtains. Very Absolutely. Nice. Uh, so welcome to the Perrier Awards. Mm. Uh, this is where we look back on the so-called Independent Republic of so Mike cool. Graham uh, and choose our favourite moments. Yes. So following mm. tradition, the first Perrier Award goes to you, Mr Graham, you for the exaggeration of the week. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The sky's blue, ladies and gentlemen. I can see all the way across practically to Essex, I would say, uh, from uh, over the Tower of London. Are you saying I can't see all the way to Essex? I think I can. Well, which I mean, way? not today. Well, that way. <laughs> Do you know where Essex is? Not really, no. no. <laughs> it's east of London, right? Right, OK. So if you keep going east, yes. you'll right. find it. OK. You can't miss it. OK. Yeah, but is there any, like, significant, like, bits that you'd look for in the There's uh, no significant horizon. bits in Essex, no. No, OK. No. Well, that's quite nice. The North Essex coast is quite nice. Colchester, lovely. OK. Roman yeah. town. Right. Yeah, you should get out more. I should get out Travel more. Travel around really. the country. Yes. Maybe we're going to do a show there. Yes. Yes. Colchester. Noted. In the Roman fort. Watch out, Colchester. How about we're that? coming for Very you. Very good. <laughs> Uh, so, over to the new breakfast weekend show, mm. where Christo, uh, the new breakfast Christo. presenter, yes, uh, forgets what show he's on. Mm. Morning all, 27 minutes past nine, Christo, late night here on Talk Radio. No, weekend <laughs> breakfast. Oh, I knew I'd do it. Yeah. Did you hear me just say that? It's easily done. It is easily done. It is done. easily done. Mm. I mean, you know, for a long time, when I was on Talk Radio at the beginning, I used to say Talk Sport quite a lot. Did you? Yeah. And didn't you say that you gave out the Talk Sport number as well? I probably did that as well, mm. yeah. Because you get it in sort of your on autopilot sometimes, yeah. you know. Mm. Poor old Christo. How's he enjoying getting up at four in the morning? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't really spoken to him. Someone else um, <laughs> might be able to give more of a uh, give more of a, uh, a scoop in okay. that one. But, uh, right. but yes. Um, so, now back to this show, mm. um, where we tried to play a video of Theresa May so wait for it uh, talking common sense would you believe um, so what we didn't bargain for was someone calling on FaceTime uh, and as they say there's a first for everything so here is the James Larvin Technical Incompetence Award well done, of the James. week Oh, and a visual Let's carrier, have a listen of uh, to what some parliamentarians have been saying um, and somebody you wouldn't perhaps expect to say this said this we will not eradicate COVID-19 from 
Oh gosh. I didn't. Yeah, I wondered what that was because I, I hadn't actually. I hadn't encountered that particular problem in the past. Mm, it's, it's definitely been a Who first. was it that was ringing in? Can I, we blame them? No, <laughs> no, we should publicly say Whoever rung on, uh, whoever called Do you not on. know who it is then? No, Can I never called tell? them back because... Oh, I see. No. Right. I thought about it and then I thought, oh, well, no. Oh, moment's well. gone now. Whoever you are, thanks anyway. <laughs> yeah, thanks for ruining a great yeah. moment. I know. Poor oh. Theresa May. She can't get a break. <laughs> she can't. We, we did successfully play the video afterwards. We did. After the whole... Um, kerfuffle, but kerfuffle, anyway. Yes. Uh, so, uh, looking ahead to your chat with James, um, with the director of Il Portico, yes. you had, I think, wine on the mind. Mm. Um, so, this is the Perry Award for the wrong namer of the week. Yes. Last hour, uh, we're going to be taking a little trip uh, to the hospitality business. James Chiaverino uh, will be with us uh, from Il Portico. Chiaverino, yes. Chiaverino. Yes, that's obviously wrong. It is. Yeah, but at least I didn't spell it wrong, though. No, I just you pronounced didn't. it wrong. No, yes, yes. Is that up there? You, is anyone getting that for spelling his name wrong? And Perry is for that? No. I mean, I could volunteer myself. You could, but I, I wasn't could. suggesting that no, for a moment. No, well, no, well, you, no, no. you said it live on national uh, national TV and I radio, did. International, Mike. International. So. International, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, James. Oh, dear me. Yes, sorry, James. I'll come and spend another vast amount of money at your restaurant to make up for it. <laughs> well, we're, we're waiting for a, a group trip now, oh, are you? you know. Well, oh, yeah, I didn't know we, that. Can we all come? Yeah, of course, yeah. Why not, indeed? I don't spend enough money out and about. I waste even more of it on you lot. I think we'd all be... Uh, I think I see I enough think of you in be, here. Yeah. Well, you have no. to start being nicer to me. Okay, Maybe all right. we'll see then. what we can do. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so another visual Perrier. Uh, Mike, you get a Perrier award for a strange noise of the week. I wasn't and expecting that. It's quite sort of uh, oh, one of those. You know, you kind of it wakes you up slightly. Wine tasting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I see. It doesn't always look as you intended to. Mm. Yes. It was like that, though. It was a okay. very nice uh, wine, but quite sharp, you know. Ah, that's the white one. Yes. Yes, yes. Oh, the, okay. the white Rioja. Mm. Was it just a bit of a... Hmm. It was just a bit more tart than I expected. Okay. You know, a bit more kind of, you know, um, sour. Okay. For want of a better word. Or just, huh. Yeah. Which, which, <laughs> as, you know, that's my new description of it. Well, fair enough. At least you're using your all your senses. Yeah, of course. Mm. It's got to be done. Um, another Thursday club coming on Thursday. Next yes, week. that's true. On Thursday, next week on yeah, Thursday. We could be out on the balcony if, it's, uh, if it ever stops raining. Oh, yes, hopefully. We can't be out in a daylight today. No. Um, so next up is the interruption of the week. Yes. And if you trust your customers and if you trust each other, then then I think that's the best recipe we've got for success. There's another there's another uh, dinner reservation coming yeah. in. <laughs> that was with James Kiverino. That was Chiaverino. James Kiverino, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Kiverino, yes. Yes, that's him. He's, I'm just going to call him that from now on. <laughs> yeah, Kiverino. Yeah. Uh, so speaking to Ian Collins about the Euros, mm. you both expressed your interest um, about how fo football might be coming home, right? So this, I've never seen, I've never heard something as enthusiastic in my life, to be quite honest. Mm. So this is the enthusiasm of the week, Perry. Okay, okay, carried away. You a know. goal in, then you're, yeah. Yeah, it's coming home. Down. Football's coming home. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's all coming home. Yeah, we're I think win. the phrase only yeah. just mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were trying to make the uh, ironic point, I think, well, that yeah. people do get carried away. There's been one game played mm. by England, which they won 1-0, but now they're going to win everything. Well, you never know. That's what people say. That's not what Jim White says. Jim White says Scotland are going to win. Well... The whole tournament? No, just tonight. Oh, right, okay. Mm. Oh. Are you watching it? Mm, no. You're not a footballer person? Mm. No? <laughs> not really. No. Are you? Will you be watching it? Well, you live it? in Sheffield, one of the big footballing cities of this country. I Two do. football teams. Yeah, and uh, Sheffield um, FC was the first Sheffield football FC. club. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Sheff yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sheffield United? No, no, before... Just before, Sheffield FC? Yeah, yeah. All oh, right. 
before them all. I'll take apparently. your word for it. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll be watching it. My, my, my youngest son's very into it, so we'll okay. watch it together. Oh, Be nice. Will you be putting bets on? What, with my son? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Not really supposed to. <laughs> we might start a spread betting uh, a gambling syndicate. Why not? He's only 14. <laughs> sake well you never know <laughs> fair enough uh so james corden made it into one of your yes. this week mike mm. as james and ariana grande teamed up to make a theatrical spoof of a hit musical now i've never heard of this musical before and neither have the rest of the team ah. this is the andrew lloyd webber award for the wrong musical of the week okay james corden and ariana grande joined up with somebody called marissa jarrett winnaker for a parody, apparently. That's a parody of an award-winning musical called Tuesday. It's Hairspray. It's, hairspray? Yeah. It's, I well, don't... I'm, I'm only reading on that particular occasion from a piece of information supplied to me by you. <laughs> so no, I'm I... afraid if I said it wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> I checked. The, I checked. I checked. It, nowhere on the piece of paper did it say Tuesday. Where's the piece of paper? I can... <laughs> oh, you don't have it? Oh, how convenient. <laughs> So you don't actually have any evidence. Only the Dominic Cummings of oh, Talk Radio. Right. Oh yeah, I've got some evidence here. I uh, know oh, you haven't. Oh dear. You're going to stunt up a WhatsApp uh, <laughs> screenshot next. You know, I'm starting to worry about you. Yeah, you? I'll, I'll just. Listen, tweet. I can only do with what I get with the information I'm given. Right. You know, as you might expect, I'm not an expert on musicals. <laughs> no, know, that doesn't. They're not you my favourite sh- form of entertainment. Oh really? Although I did take my son to Wicked, which was quite good. Oh yeah, Wicked's a good one. Yeah. Mm, okay. Thanks anyway. Um. Well, no, sorry, right. I'll come with the no, evidence. No next time don't you know, I would advise you to do that uh, so uh, this after you've doctored it <laughs> so this is the stating the obvious award of the week yes talk radio <sighs> so every now and again I have to kind of breathe just to kind of just go right okay then probably more than once in a while really isn't well it? Yeah, yeah yeah you know what I meant though yeah of course of course and finally mm. uh, so we discussed uh, so this is another visual parry for those who are watching on YouTube yes uh, we discussed ultra, ultra processed foods with Tam Fry his wife not so subtly returned a household item um, into its place behind Tam uh, this is the not so subtle award of the week you are a man that knows an awful lot about oh are we What's going on? Oh, there's a perrier in the perriers. Oh, dear. Should we try again, guys? Try again. <laughs> That's a shambles, this show, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And that is, of course, Tam Fry, <laughs> chairman of the National Obesity Forum. Tam, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Now, um, you are a man that knows an awful lot about... <laughs> Do you know, I didn't see that at the time. Well, see, I must have missed that. We've... How do you know it's his wife? Uh, well, actually, we don't... Oh. Oh, well. I mean, he might be in trouble now. Oh, dear. Dear me. <laughs> oh, not, dear. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that's, anything. That's also true. That's yeah, also the danger true. is of zooming in from uh, outside, you know. <laughs> People might see things they're not supposed to. Anyway, thank you very anyway, much. Anyway, well, thank you. Mm. Um, that's all for the Perry Awards. There thank will God. be more next week. <laughs> the Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.